Welcome. You're listening to the DPO Download, a podcast for school districts' data protection officers. I'm your host, Monica Statil. In this episode, we chat with Lauren Lucker of Northville Central Schools in the School Spotlight about navigating EDLAW2D in a small district with limited resources and provide DPOs a cyber threat landscape update. But first, in our feature interview, Suffolk Regional Information Center Director Darlene Rosas was able to speak with Doug Levin. Doug is the co-founder and national director of the K-12 Security Information Exchange, also known as K-12-6. Hello, I'm Darlene Rosas, and I'm the director of the Suffolk Regional Information Center. I am really pleased to have Doug Levin here with me. He is the national director at the K-12 Security Information Exchange. Welcome, Doug. Thanks very much for having me, Darlene. Doug, why don't you take a first stab at telling us about yourself, what some of your priorities are, and what the national director is working on? Sure, uh, absolutely pleased to do so, and thanks for shining a light on this important issue. About me personally, I have worked in the K-12 education sector for over 30 years, most of which in a variety of nonprofits and associations, largely focused actually on issues of education in technology. Perhaps most notably, I was involved in the development of the nation's first national ed tech plan, stretching back to the mid-90s. And I also served for five years as executive director of the State Educational Technology Directors Association, or CETA, which is the association that represents state departments of ed, much like COSIN represents school districts and ISTE serves to support teachers. So been at this game a a long time. And uh, frankly, around 2016, issues of school cybersecurity started coming to my attention. And after some period of study and talking to school district IT leaders, talking to school vendors and suppliers, it became clear to me that this is an issue that wasn't getting enough attention. So with colleagues, we collaborated and ended up launching a new organization, the K-12 Security Information Exchange, to solely focus on this issue of helping schools better prepare themselves to face these emerging cybersecurity risks. On a day-to-day basis, we are tracking the trends in cybersecurity risk management, whether that's new vulnerabilities that are being announced, the actions of threat actors that are targeting school districts, and preparing sort of guidance and advice that is K-12 specific for our members so they can take the steps they need to take to protect themselves from these risks. Of course, it is a huge job. We are committed and and working hard to grow the number of districts that we are serving to raise the visibility of this issue and frankly, to work with anybody who cares about helping schools to protect themselves from these risks today. Thank you for that. While those are your priorities, I can assure you that they are the district priorities too. I know that you have a number of resources. Do you want to take a a little bit of time and walk us through where districts can locate resources on your website? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Now, many people know us for our work in tracking K-12 cyber incidents, in particular, something we call the K-12 cyber incident map. And this is actually something I brought with me to K-12-6. 
So if you are looking for information about publicly disclosed school cybersecurity incidents, say, for instance, in New York, you can go ahead and interact with this map and zoom in, take a look at incidents that may have been experienced and publicly disclosed about school districts near to you and understand and even help communicate to your community that these are not hypothetical risks, that these are happening all the time to school districts of all types and sizes, including in the state of New York. Now, we have created summaries of these trends in an annual report series that we do called the State of K-12 Cybersecurity. And so you can find a PDF copy of this report that I think is quite digestible and easy to share with your school communities to educate your school district leadership about uh, the threats facing schools and maybe some of the steps they can take to protect themselves. We also make available the archive of all of those reports that we have done. While it's interesting and useful to know how schools are being victimized, what's really important is how to defend yourself. We also offer something, an increasing number of products in what we're calling our essential series. Um, the essential series are a series of guidance documents and tools that have been built by us with our members, with school district IT leaders for school district IT leaders. They are vendor neutral, they are designed, frankly, to be actionable and pragmatic for even the smallest school districts with very limited budgets. A couple of things to highlight here in the resources are our essential protections. This is a small list of essential cybersecurity controls, defenses that we think every school district can and should put in place. There's only a dozen of them. and We provide detailed rubrics on what we mean by implementing a control right? And suggestions and, and advice on how to implement those controls. We also have a self-assessment tool. So it's a terrific place to start if you're just beginning your journey, or maybe even if you've done some work in cybersecurity risk management and just want to check uh, your work, free private self-assessment tool against our standards, and we'll give you a prioritized set of to-do items based on our opinions about how schools can protect themselves. And then the last piece, the newest one that we've added to this list is a cyber incident response runbook. And talking to IT leaders all across the country, one of the things that they, we know they've been challenged to put together is a cyber incident response plan. And so this is a perfect place to start if your district doesn't have one and will walk through the sorts of steps that happen after you've experienced an incident and help to prepare you to recover from that incident more gracefully than, than you would in the absence of such a plan. And then finally, we also have a public webinar series of free webinars that we offer to the K-12 community at large, frankly, as a public service. Um, and all of these are archived, right? So if you are interested in learning more about any of these topics, you know, for instance, MFA, I know is a big, big topic implementation in that in schools. This is a very popular webinar that we did last year. Still relevant content. You can still view those recordings of those events. So those are what is available freely on our website. We also, though, offer more services for school districts and K-12 organizations that are our members. And that's where we really get into that information sharing uh, about 
threats that we are seeing about best practices in protecting yourselves. We will provide some technical assistance and professional development. And we even work together to prioritize the sorts of tools that schools may need and build them together and release them. Much of that we make freely available to the whole sector, but we also do make much more robust resources for uh, available for our members. Excellent information. Thank you. You were talking about the self-assessment tool and the runbook. I just wanted to share that in New York State, we adopted the NIST cybersecurity framework. Those are portions of that, so immediately applicable. So thank you so much. Doug, do you want to share anything else with the districts? Well, just to underscore that point you just made, the resources that we are creating are not built in a vacuum. We're very well aware of all of the best practices uh, that exist out there. And I know that New York has adopted and is aligned to the NIST cybersecurity framework work. We also align all of our work to the NIST cybersecurity framework. And so our list of essential protections, our incident response runbook template, all of which are based on NIST advice and tightly aligned to that framework. So you can have faith that if you are looking through our work, you're not going to be pulled in a different direction from what mm -hmm. the state is asking of your districts. Great. Doug, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for sharing all this great information. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, darling. For more information on these excellent cybersecurity resources, visit k126.org. Now it's time for an update on the newest developments in the world of cybersecurity. For the RIC-1 Data Privacy and Security Service, I'm Dino Alchich with your Cyber Threat Landscape Update. Earlier this fall, the MSISAC released a joint cybersecurity advisory with the FBI and CISA on Vice Society. Together, they observed that Vice Society actors are disproportionately targeting the education sector with ransomware attacks. The latest attack attributed to Vice Society was against Los Angeles Unified School District, which is the United States' second largest school district with more than 600,000 students. According to Data Breach today, the attack affected the district's email and other applications, but it didn't prevent the district from holding classes on Tuesday after Labor Day weekend, several days after a representative of the ransomware group claimed responsibility for the attack. Data was released and according to TechCrunch, the leaked data included financial reports, COVID-19 testing information, and psychological assessments of students, among other personally identifiable information. As noted in the Joint Cybersecurity Advisory, Vice Society is a ransomware group that first appeared in the summer of 2021. It stands out compared to gangs like Lockbit and Black Cat in that it doesn't use its own ransomware payload. Instead, it commonly deploys payloads of Hello Kitty, Five Hands, or Zeppelin, on victims' machines. Not having their own ransomware payload might serve as a strategic advantage. One possible reason is that not having a separate ransomware payload helps Vice Society to maintain anonymity and not grow its brand, the CTI team explained. Vice Society has attracted the attention of law enforcement for singling out K-12 organizations. But that doesn't mean ransomware groups are just now starting to target the sector. On the contrary, K-12 organizations accounted for 33.5% of U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial ransomware incidents reported to the MSI SAC between 2019 and 2021. 
These attacks reflect how threat actors, such as Vice Society and other ransomware gangs, like to set their sights on those that are target-rich and resource-poor, or organizations like K-12 facilities that have money but lack robust cybersecurity funding and internal expertise. Indeed, many ransomware attacks against K-12 organizations take months, if not longer, to remediate and can cost over $1 million. According to the MS Isaac K-12 report, a cybersecurity assessment of the 2021 through 2022 school year. And now for the DPO Download School Spotlight. I was able to sit down with Lauren Luckert of Northville Central School District to discuss the challenges of applying EDLA2D in a rural district. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. How are you? I am good. We're uh, digging out of six inches of snow here. Oh, well, I didn't get quite that much, but um, I think that might have something to do with your location. (laughs) So speaking of that, let's start off with a little bit of history. Tell me about you and your school district. What's your role and how long have you been there? So I am the uh, Director of Technology and Data Protection Officer for the Northville Central School District. We are a one K-12 building, 450 students campus in the Southern Adirondacks. So we are on the Great Sacagawea Lake. What's really cool about that is we have a old dead pine tree along the lake that we have eagles perch all the time. So a teacher notices it, they'll email out everyone. The eagles are out. If you want to take your kids out to go see them, it's kind of like cool, not very tech related, but we like it. That's actually pretty awesome. You don't get to see eagles too often. And it's nice that your kids have that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're here to talk about a little bit of uh, EDLA2D. How do you feel that EDLA2D has improved your district? So I joined the district in July of 2020. So that was like height of the pandemic, chaos, trying to get the kids back in the building for September. What tech do we need? What tech tools do we need? Uh, What software? Things like that. So Trying to keep EdLaw2D in mind helped us rein in a lot of that EdTech software. We kind of were in make it work mode for at least a year and a half to two years. And that just became hard to support. It's hard to budget. It's hard to know where our data is in case of an exposure. So at least in regards to the data privacy agreements with different vendors, that's kind of helped us rein that in a little bit. Also for us aligning to the NIST framework, that has increased our cybersecurity. Has also really increased our awareness. I'm I'm a big big proponent of training. I keep my door open, you know, for staff if they have questions or they forward me a weird looking email or things like that. So just increasing our awareness and increasing our cybersecurity have been really helpful and also highlighted our need for like an incident response plan. I know we all have districts that fill out their emergency response plan, you know, in case of a fire, in case of this, it just helped us kind of think in a different way. Well, what in case we have ransomware or in case something else happens, just having a plan in place for that. What are some of the challenges that EDLA2D brings to a smaller district? I mean, it sounds like you've got a a lot going on there, but what (laughs) challenges have you found with a smaller district? Do you think it's different Uh, than a larger one? Oh, I mean, I think... A lot of people, it's a lack of personnel or time. I know a lot of DPOs were kind of tapped on the shoulder, but they had other roles. I don't know one district that has hired just a DPO. So I think that's like an all-encompassing issue. 
for us being smaller, you know, our budget is a little bit smaller. So trying to align to the NIST and having all of our cybersecurity pieces in place could be a budgetary issue or just lack of personnel. I'm one person trying to get all the staff on multi-factor authentication. Like that's kind of a lot for a small district. Yeah, it would be. Could you tell me about, are there any other tools that you use with limited resources for some districts? So it's good to just kind of share what works for you. Is there any that you use that you think would be helpful for other districts? So for me, keeping organized with vendor contracts, I do use the RIC1 Dipit tool, the inventory tool. I like that because it's just one spot that I can add vendors. I can put all my files that need to be publicly available and just have the link right there on our district website so it's accessible to the public. I know there's other data points within that tool that I'm not using yet such as like, who's the data administrator, or I kind of want to put in who's purchasing that because we did have a crazy spreadsheet shared internally of like, here's all the software. This is an elementary software. The principal's buying it. Am I buying? It just became really confusing. So having one tool in one spot, I mean, Google Drive's so fun to try and find spreadsheets. So mm, having everything right. in one spot <laughs> that's a separate system specifically designed for this thing has been really helpful. So that's the inventory tool from Rick One. When we talk about data flow and, you know, keeping our data safe and secure, we do subscribe to ClassLink and mm. that connects to our sys. But the really nice thing about ClassLink is it allows me to pre-filter my data before it goes out to the third party. So if I have a product that only grades three through eight use, I only have to send data for grades three through eight. I haven't really come across many instructional technologies that need demographic data, like date of birth, gender. So many of them now are just first name, last name, email, maybe mm -hmm. the grade, and they're rostering. So yep. I don't even send that data. That's actually turned off by default coming out of ClassLink. And then if a vendor does need it, then I can turn it on. So I just like that ability to pre-filter the data, like to say less hands in the data cookie jar, less data crumbs floating around out there for exposure or anything like that. Yeah, it's nice to see the vendors are really starting to be cognizant of, we don't need it, we're not taking it. It's also good to have that tool to say, well, you don't need it. Yes. <laughs> I've heard you mention NIST a couple of times, and let's talk about the NIST assessment. <laughs> um, and you don't have to tell me if you've done it or not. Our last district that one of my colleagues spoke to was a fan of having outside audits, getting that self-assessment done. Do you see the value in either having your district in an audit or doing a self-assessment? If you have done them, have they helped you in any ways? Yeah, so I have done it myself. I am a very tough self-assessor. So, no. nice to <laughs> so it is nice to have third-party eyes from the outside looking in and just seeing where we varied in where we thought we were at at the NIST. I think it's also important if we have the comptroller come and audit, they are outside eyes, right? So they're going to yeah. have a similar lens as this third-party assessor. A lot of stuff we do is internal process. Well, we don't have that documented. So to me, we have a process in place, but from an outsider, it's not documented. So it's not good enough to meet the NIST requirements. So I see value in both. Um, I we did have a third-party assessor do one last spring. So now I have the fun, tough work comparing and mm -hmm. contrasting and prioritizing, you know, what our next steps are as a district. So it's really, it's an interesting process. It's just, 
I think it's valued in doing both. All right, cybersecurity. Do you think the size of your district makes preparing for incident response any easier? Saying no, I think an incident is an incident is an incident. I think yes. there's processes and procedures that need to happen regardless. And listen, we're a small district, we're 450 kids. We could have 450 kids compromised or a large district could have five kids data compromised. It's still the same thing. At the end of the day, the same same things need to be put into place. So that's right. One is too many. Right. Well, our time is up. I want to thank you so much for giving me your insights on EdLaw2D at your district. No, I uh, thanks for having me. I enjoy having these conversations with other districts and, and hearing what other people are doing and giving our my feedback and how we make things work for us at Northville. So I appreciate the, the time to chat. A big thank you to Doug Levin, Dino Alachike, and Lauren Lucker for joining us on today's episode. For extended interviews and K-12 Data Protection Officer resources, make sure to visit rick1dpss.org. From all of us at the DPO Download, thanks for listening.